my husband, I'm very thankful for his kind of support and guidance because I don't think I would be um, still trying to make this work a year later. Um, but I, you know, there's, there's definitely days where I was like, what's the point, especially in the beginning of trying to market my services in the midst of a, a pandemic when people are not signing up for races, like, how does this work? But then really realizing, I think more in the springtime, like, let's pivot this. Like people are still training. People are still running. Running's not canceled and nutrition goes hand in hand with that. So, um, I think pivoting that a little bit and, and really focusing more on how can you be the best right now? Um, I definitely went through, I think a lot of things that entrepreneurs go, go through imposter syndrome, like what am I even doing? (laughs) Um, and then lack of motivation some weeks, but just really knowing, like I did this for a reason and my passion is helping others and I really need to like make it come to fruition and this isn't forever and running will, or races will return. And when races do return people, I feel like hopefully will be knocking down my door. (laughs) This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all new, all natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe bomb today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a board-certified sports dietitian. She's also a running coach. There are other things going on with her, which we'll get into. She has many, many credentials, um, so many that we just decided to make our intro very, very short. Welcome to the show, Allison Koch. Thanks so much, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining me and having the nice background. I always have the like <laughs> messed up background behind me with all the bookshelves and stuff. I was messing with Skype earlier, um, and it, you know it has the features like Zoom now, where you can like get the green screen and put something else behind me. I'm like, should I get rid of the bookshelves? I I don't know. It's more natural. <laughs> yeah, it's a little more natural, but yeah, I always like it when people like you have like just a nice. It's, it's picturesque you got a picture above you is that anything yeah this is actually my living room because we get the best internet here okay (laughs) in my office it's similar to you with the bookshelves in the back but um i often get interrupted halfway with the internet connection so i figured move downstairs but yeah it's a picture of the finger lakes which is where um i kind of grew up and uh where my husband and i got married so okay yeah that's pretty cool did you have that made no it was a wedding gift Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's also like, this is, we're off topic already, but yeah, <laughs> that's how things go for me. It's just, I, I like, I like artwork. And I like artwork. That's like meaningful and, and purposeful for people. You know, yeah. it, it's so easy to just like go to Ikea or target or whatever and be like, Oh, that's a pretty painting. Like just put that on the wall. But um, it's always nice when there's like stories and purpose behind yeah. stuff that's on the walls. So, yeah. Um, nice. So, I think I saw on your Twitter you're working more from home now. Yeah. <laughs> so how's that going for you? 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a funny, not funny story, but <laughs> um, last year around November, I left a pretty uh, comfortable full-time gig um, and I had this side hustle as a private practice working with endurance athletes, primarily runners, marathoners, half marathoners, mm -hmm. um, and with for their nutrition. And I was doing that on the side and just really loved it, but it wasn't um, I didn't have enough time to dedicate to it in the full-time job, so I decided to leave the full-time job and go all in on this private practice uh, in November of 2019, and obviously we all know what happened in 2020, right. and most of my clients, um, I was meeting with them virtually before as well, because I meet with people from all over the country. Most people are here in Chicago. I'm Illinois, Chicago-based um, dietitian, um, and it, just because I'm so involved in the running community here in Chicago, that's where most of my clients come from, and I had always offered them the option, like, are you, if we can meet in person, I don't have a I don't have an office per se. Um, so, so that was kind of fun. And my business really started to grow January, February. And then we all know what happened. Uh, races were all canceled. And so I had a few clients that just kind of kept with me and, and stay, stayed with me for the accountability piece. But um, yeah, so I've been working from home. I also had a part-time job um, at a local gym. Um, and so unfortunately all the gyms closed and that's when um, I, that was in person. So now from that, I've been um, kind of just waiting to see if they decide to ask me to come back, but really focusing more on the private practice and with runners since that's my specialty anyway. So I'm kind of wondering, I mean, it's it's easy to sum up now and obviously we're still kind of in the thick of it um it, as far as i would sum up i guess mm -hmm. but you know it's it's a big deal in the in the first place to go all in on your own thing you know there's a big jump that a lot of people don't yeah. make um and i can certainly sympathize with you i i did that myself and it's it's definitely scary to be like i know for sure i'm gonna i'm making this money doing this thing but i'm gonna like I'm going to yeah. try, you know, and then with the confluence of, you know, COVID and, and things making things even more complicated, how, how does that situation, how do, how do you deal with that situation mentally? I guess where yeah. was it smooth sailing or was it like, no. like nail biting <laughs> there for a while? Yeah, it was not smooth sailing. I'll say that for sure. I know, um, my husband, I'm very thankful for his kind of support and guidance because I don't think I would be, um, still trying to make this work a year later. Um, but I, you know, there's, there's definitely days where I was like, what's the point, especially in the beginning of trying to market my services in the midst of a, a pandemic when people are not signing up for races, like how does this work? But then really realizing, I think more in the springtime, like let's pivot this, like people are still training, people are still running, running's not canceled right. and nutrition goes hand in hand with that. So um, I think pivoting that a little bit and, and really focusing more on how can you be the best right now. Um, I definitely went through, I think a lot of things that entrepreneurs go, go through imposter syndrome, like what am I even doing? <laughs> um, and then lack of motivation some weeks, but just really knowing like I did this for a reason and my passion is helping others and I really need to like make it come to fruition and this isn't forever and running will or races will return. And when races do return people, I feel like hopefully will be knocking down my door. <laughs> Yeah, well, and there's, you know, there's going to be a number of people, um, myself included, we've definitely had to um, 
start watching ourselves more. The gained weight via COVID, staying at home, unusual uh, routines, you know, eating for comfort, all those kind of things. Um, so there may be more of a wake up call come next race season. Like, I really need some help. So yeah. hopefully that's you know beneficial for you. Yeah. Um, what do you think about? So like as you're describing what you know what's going on, my initial thought is in in, in some ways I, I liken much of life to running, in that running is almost like a microcosm of these things that we go through, mm-hmm. right? Where like you, you start and you're like, let's just say a half marathon as a as a random example. I, I'm going to do this half marathon. Signed up, you're excited, you're ready to go, like you're all in on this thing, and then you start training, and then like shit hits the fan and things are not going the way you wanted them to go, but you persist. And you're like, then there's the days you're like, why am I doing Like, why am I making myself suffer? I don't, this doesn't make any sense, Mm -hmm. you know? And then hopefully if you continue muddling through, you reach, you know, reach the start and finish line. And then all of it kind of comes to fruition. It's a little easier and more compact in the running sense, but do you do you draw parallels like that from running to you know kind of what happens in your life? Yeah, I mean all the time. I think <laughs> I think the marathon for me is it's my favorite race to mm-hmm. personally do, but also like to equate to what goes through life. I mean, you're constantly going through ups and downs in a marathon, but knowing that you've got that end goal in mind and it's going to take you a while to get there and you know, some days you're going to be training for it and thinking, what the heck am I doing? Why am I doing this? And especially amidst those 20 milers or those workouts you just don't want to get up for. But mm-hmm. I think that ultimately like routine, like having routine in your, your weekly, um, training schedule, planning, things like that. It just all, all equates back to life as well. I mean, I, I make a lot of parallels with the nutrition too, right? We do a lot of variety of workouts. You should eat a variety of foods. Like it's kind of the same. Um, but yeah. And I remember when I was, I had hired a business coach last November to try and really, um, push me, um, to get the business up and running. And, and even she was saying things like trust the process, which my running coach always tells me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is like the same thing. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it it really does seem like a microcosm. And that's, I felt like I came to running from a very young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always felt like just that experience of doing that, it's like I encounter something new. I'm like, oh, it's just like, it's just like that. Or it's just like that time or something the time coach said this. Mm-hmm. Um, what When did you start running? Not early. <laughs> um, I was an athlete all through um, high school and college. I actually played field hockey. Um, went to Drexel. You were running playing field hockey, so that's it's not fair to say you. No, no. I was goalie, so oh. not, not running too much. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I literally like just hated running. I have a fun story. Not fun at the time, but when I was in um, elementary school, you know, you have the physical fitness test, and we all go out and do the the long run or whatever it was, and I'm I'm almost positive I came in last in class and that always stuck with me and got more into running in high school, mostly just to stay fit for field hockey season. Um, my dad was a marathoner. So that was also something in the back of my head. Like at some point, maybe I want to do that, but I, I really hated running 
in high school. Um, but I got better at it and I ended up realizing I really enjoyed like longer runs like by myself just to think through things. Um, and by the physical fitness test my senior year, I remember I was like one of the top women to do the 12 minute run in that, in that, and it was the same gym teacher, which was even better. Cause it was like, look at me now. Um, but I didn't really run after that. Just, just mostly to stay in shape. Um, I didn't get into racing. I did my first marathon in 2008 because our graduate school was, I went to graduate school at Tufts, which, um, had a marathon team. And so you could do the Boston marathon for charity. And I'm like, bucket list marathon, also one of the best ones in the whole world, like might as well do it. Um, I had a, I had an inkling I might really enjoy it, but I didn't know for sure. And then I crossed the finish line. I was like, when can I do this again? <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed it, but wasn't real serious about running until I moved to Chicago and kind of um, to meet people, signed up for some um, local running groups and, and went to those. And then, you know, never really did group speed workouts until my 30s. Um, and that's when I saw huge improvements in time. So, um, almost dropped, I think my dream goal is to drop a full hour off my first marathon time, but, um, definitely had a, like a 35 minute improvement in time in just one cycle because of the group. So there's just so much power to like the team and the group that you work with. Um, yeah, there, there's done it's, it's, yeah, you can't like, you really can't replace you know, having that team around you and it's, it's nice. And, you know, it doesn't matter how many people I talk to, everybody seems to have kind of a similar experience. It's like, if you're having a bad day, like somebody else is having a good day and vice versa. And like you help kind of pull each other out of those situations where it's like, you know, if you were left to your own devices, then it's easier to be like, you know, woe is me and let those negative thoughts creep in versus, Mm -hmm. you know, letting somebody else help, help pull you up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Or quit (laughs) or just be like, I'm done. Um, I miss that now. Obviously we're not doing quite as many group runs, but, um, I do like the challenge and I think it's just become something in the last 10 years I've just become really passionate about and knowing that it came from also my family, my dad did it and he ran all through, um, his adult years and and that kind of just was kind of knew it was in my my blood to do more marathons. (laughs) So everybody is everybody like, picking your brain when you're on long runs, like, Allison, what should we be eating this week? Like, oh, I <laughs> ate this, you know, is is it that or is it, is that off limits? Um, so yeah, it's, it's sometimes <laughs> it depends. <laughs> I think it depends on how long the run is, um, how many people I'm running with that know actually what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the people do because I run with the same, um, team that, that coaches me, Dan Walters and uh, his team's DW running. And so I run with my teammates and they all know because I'm the team dietitian <laughs> and I've done events and things for them. So they know they can ask me questions, but I think our long run time is more sacred. I mean, we talk about everything from what's going on that weekend to, um, Oh, what were some other funny things we've talked? What What are you going to go eat afterwards? I know that's very popular and I'm not yeah. always going to be like, go eat something healthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, and that's fun. It's fun getting to know everybody's different quirks. Um, so last year, um, I have a question I ask everybody at the end of every every episode, and I had one for last year, I have one for this year. This year, it's different, I'll save it for the end, but because you're a dietitian, the question I was asking everybody last year 
is if you get to choose one recovery food for the rest of your life, what do you choose? I feel like it's still a pertinent question to ask you. Yeah. One recovery food. What would you choose? I would, I always really enjoy um, like an iced latte or coffee, which isn't a food that's um, a drink because usually I haven't had enough before the long run as I normally would. Um, and then what do I really like after a long run? It, it always depends on my mood that day. If I could eat anything, it would probably be my mom's carrot cake, which isn't exactly the most healthy choice post run, <laughs> but there's some protein and some carbohydrates in there and even some vegetables, right? You got some carrots. So right. that if I could always have that around, I'm sure that would be my, my go-to. <laughs> the thing that I love about that question and you really, and you kind of hit it is that when, so it was a question I had when I started the podcast and I went uh-huh. through 30 some odd guests with that question. And, uh, you know, my intention is partly, well, I want to learn more about what other people are eating and it's uh-huh. you know, a little bit of a selfish question, you know, and like, what am I missing out on? Cause I always feel like I can always do better with my nutrition game. Yeah. And as it turns out, <laughs> like, I don't know the exact number, but like 90% of the people I asked have like a comfort food rather than I eat, you know, this precise thing. It's like, no, like what makes me feel good? That's the thing I'm going for. Yeah. I mean, realistically, what I recommend and what I usually do is more like an RX bar or some kind of protein granola bar and the iced coffee I do do for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just interesting to me if I frame it down to you only get one. Uh-huh. It comes down to something that's more comfort based instead of like recovery based. For sure. For sure. <laughs> so um, I do want to ask you a little bit, obviously, about kind of what you do work wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so what among the uh, athletes that you're working with now, are there like a really common issues that everybody struggles with is everybody really individualized mm-hmm. you know any patterns that are merged that are common to runners versus um say like general nutrition or general population yeah let's see um i think common things are just not timing our meals correctly around workouts or not allowing enough time especially with the folks i work with that are morning runners who just roll out of bed, get out there and run, come back, and then maybe don't make the time to have a decent breakfast. Then they skimp all day, and then they wonder why they're so hungry in the evening, and it's just because they've been skipping out all day long, and and that's important to be fueling ourselves all throughout the day to really recover better. Um, A lot of questions lately on what are some good snacks, so that comes up a lot, um, and how often should I be snacking, and um, I see that a lot. with women, sometimes it's a little bit more about like what's going on, how should I eat during this time of the month? Um, but it really just varies. I, I think the most common is just t- figuring out the fueling around a workout. Um, what should I be doing before, during, and after a long run versus a hard interval workout versus an easy run? Um, how much protein do I need? That's very popular. Everybody's mm-hmm. very, <laughs> very into protein. Um, or I think a lot of the athletes I work with just don't eat enough. And that's eye-opening in and of itself that they're just, you know, I have everyone do a three-day food log where they write down everything they eat and drink for three days. And then we go over it together. And I just think that's so eye-opening for them just to do as, as an, um, 
as an assignment, but also when we go through it together, just they realize like, I've been way under fueling. I had a guy just this week who was just, he was barely making half of his calorie needs for the day. And it's like, well, that's why you're bonking so early in the workout. You just, you don't fuel yourself enough. So, um, so that's kind of right now, I think we're just getting back to basics and focusing on, um, you know, getting those round meals in, getting fuel in before, during and after. So the, the protein thing is interesting because it's it's something I'm subject to as well, where I feel like I don't ever have to worry about getting enough carbs in. Carbs mm-hmm. are everywhere, you know, culturally speaking. So it's like, don't like don't worry about that aspect. So yeah. mentally for me, if I'm like, what, you know, where's my protein coming from for the day? Like the other parts will take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also interesting, the kind of, wide range of answers because i've spoken to a number of dietitians um Mm -hmm. over the i'll say years that were Mm -hmm. kind of not quite years for the show but um and i kind of get a varying amount of answers for this is how much protein you need do you have a range or a suggestion or anything like that because it is such a i'll call it a hot topic but i mean it's it's a pervasive idea that i have to eat enough protein or i'm not gonna you know yeah recover I think it's specific to the individual. Protein um, requirements are based on height per, or um, based on your weight, right? So everyone's going to vary a little bit. Um, and as endurance athletes in particular, you do need more protein than the average um, American, right? The average American diet person um, doesn't actually need as much, but endurance athletes, it makes sense. We're working out more, so you're going to need more protein to replace that muscle that's been broken down during that workout. Um, I think where we get in trouble is you save all your protein for that PM meal, right? So okay. you have some cereal, maybe you have a small sandwich for lunch, and then at dinner you have this huge steak. And I think I always explain it to to um, the athletes I work with that, you know, you're constantly breaking down or building up muscle and you want in that buildup stage to have protein to really help you get those adaptations that you're looking for from the training. And that process is taking place all day long. So you work out in the morning and you have maybe a protein shake and then nothing again till dinner. Well, you missed out on that midpoint during the day when you could be having some protein to continue to help repair and recover your muscle. So I think timing of protein is really important, but and spreading it out throughout the day, right? So making sure you're getting it not just at the PM meal, but all breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So it doesn't just have to be a big steak at night. We want to make sure we're having some eggs maybe at breakfast and then a decent amount of lunch meat or whatever protein source you have at lunch. So I think that's something that people don't um, realize as much. And then even adding in a protein source to your snacks. I think that's one thing like in the afternoon you grab an apple, but that's not a complete snack. You should have a little bit of protein with it too. So a good gauge, I think for most people is to aim around 20 to 30 grams. That usually meets everyone's protein needs per meal. And then half of that per snacks. So 10 to 15 at snacks is a good estimate. I mean, that's not going to be everyone's needs, but. Right. Right. I mean, like you said, it it is dependent on the individual, like Mm -hmm. on the extreme end, we have, you know, like Olympians who are going to be consuming, much more than, um, say like me right now, I'm just getting back into running after my kind of time off for the, for the year. And I went out for 15 minutes this morning. I I don't need, I don't really need to adjust much after a 15 minute run. So that's, you know, clearly you're going to take, take that into account. Um, 
I, I do want to back up. I don't I don't want to lose this thought. I thought it was interesting you said that so many people are underfueling mm-hmm. versus overfueling just because you think about culturally, we're a pretty large culture now. Yeah. Um, so you think it'd be the other way, like eating too much instead of too little. Mm-hmm. It is Do you suspect that's an issue of, I'll call it a lack of prioritization, but people saying, I don't have enough time and, and feeling like they're, they're rushed for whatever it is, work or taking mm-hmm. the kids to school or, or whatever that next thing is. Is it is it that that's happening or is there something else at play? I think it's a combination of both. There's definitely the, the person who's just so busy that they're not even thinking about it and it's not something they're consciously doing, but then they, then they realize it at nighttime, like, oh my goodness, I haven't really eaten anything all day and I definitely have those types of clients. And then you have maybe more of a disordered eating aspect around it where it's, you know, I need to earn my fuel. I haven't worked out today, so I shouldn't be eating as much. And that's like a tricky Um, you know, from an endurance athlete standpoint, then we really got to work on mindset more so than, you know, what's actually on the plate and making sure you understand, like, yes, you, you, maybe you have a rest day, but you still need to fuel so that you recover and repair all the, you know, work that you put in over the days prior. And I definitely have had, um, clients come to me for weight loss in particular. And so that too is one where we got to look specifically like, all right, Yes, in order to lose weight, we may have to cut your calories a little bit, but I want to make sure we're not putting you into like starvation mode where your stress levels are going to go up and you're going to turn into, it's going to be so hard for you to lose weight. So it's finding that balance, I think, um, of getting in enough, but not overdoing it for those folks versus changing mindset for people who maybe aren't, are purposefully under fueling. And then for the people who are just not aware of it. It's making them aware of it, right? And so they know, mm-hmm. like, I got to eat lunch so that I can actually get a good workout in after after work today. Is it a matter of, so so is your job, it always, especially when it comes to food, I feel like you end up being part psychologist, mm-hmm. um, as you mentioned. But but are you, are you, is your job predominantly saying eat this not that or is it like helping people build routine helping people on the routine side yeah like my goal i do provide meal plans and some dietitians don't some do my goal with the meal plan is to give them a guide but i always make sure that they know like this is just one example of a way you could eat i just want to help you like form better habits and i think that's i call my sessions nutrition coaching mm-hmm. i think of it as coaching more than counseling it's really helping them develop better habits so they can be better off on their own and and make these things work for their own training. I think my main goal is, you know, it used to be very focused on race days. So getting the, getting the person to a race day and getting a big PR, but obviously that's changed a little bit now. And I feel like it might, the way I work with clients has, has changed as well to being more um, holistic and it's not just focused on a race, but really how can we make better habits for life? Do you think that'll continue into the future? You know, when we get back to racing, do you think you'll continue to say, okay, maybe we should think about the whole person versus this one destination? Or do you think we'll just shift back some? I think it'll be a little bit of both. I know I'll continue 
to be more focused on the whole person versus that race as a goal. Um, because most of the people I work with, it's not going to be just one marathon. (laughs) We know they're runners, they're in the community, they're going to be doing this for a long time. So, um, it's not just like, how can we, of course, we'll do a race day strategy for the specific race, um, for their fueling plan, but then we'll also still focus on, okay, if you get injured, what are some things you can do from a nutrition standpoint to help with that? Or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, how to meal prep for your busy week. And I think a lot of those you take in into other experiences and situations. Yeah. Um, So do you have any hard and fast rules? Like I I would, I would uh, venture that you're going to say, don't skip breakfast. (laughs) Um, Since that seems to be a common, common problem, but is it like, you know, do you have any, do you use those or is it, is it so individualized that you're like, this is your routine and this is what we do or you know if you know somebody comes to you on one of the long runs and is like what should I do and you're just like this is the guideline go with the guideline is there anything like that yeah I mean it's definitely personalized very everyone's so different especially from I mean during long runs everyone is so different with how much they can take in and what works for them and what products to use um so I think it's it's definitely um individualize. I mean, there's some common recommendations like I live by the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time eat, you know, healthy, balanced meals. 20% of the time allow yourself to have those treats and things that you really crave and enjoy because otherwise you'll overdo it um, or you'll restrict too much. And then once you do allow yourself to have those treats, you overdo it. So definitely encourage the 80-20 rule with a lot of clients that I work with. Um, that's that being said though sometimes i do say it's important um you know once we do get back to racing maybe race week it's not 80 20 anymore it's mm-hmm. 90 100 all in on the balanced meal follow your plan and then obviously go ahead and enjoy what you want after the race you you definitely deserve it but um most of the time that's that's a big one that people really like well, i can have cake i can have cookies yeah as long as it's not all you're eating right, right. <laughs> um right. so that's like a a a big one that I talk about. Um, I, there's just kind of the generic spreading protein out throughout the day, trying to get people to do more of that, making sure they most often are getting fruits and vegetables in. I mean, kind of your standard nutrition advice. Um, I do recommend, um, like following the athlete's plate, which is some a tool that the U.S. Olympic Committee came up with for easy, moderate, and hard training days. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a visual guide. And so I help, um, I try to use those in my nutrition coaching or counseling or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, but no, no, no hard and true, I guess, rules that I live by more so just trying to find balance and what works for um, the clients I'm working with. I will say the post-workout window, I've been really harping on the clients I work with on that because I do want them, we're getting some fuel in as soon as possible post-workout to really get those training adaptations. Um, and I think oftentimes, and I see this even when I'm at my own long runs, I see the other people around, they, they don't eat, they wait and they wait, they wait. And then it's like, you just missed out on this window of like refueling. And so that'll harp on them a little bit more, um, just to make sure they're getting something in. (laughs) Well, it's like, is that's that's a tough one too because it's like i think some people will not believe it at first but it's like we've had we've had enough studies done and done and done and done it's like 
yeah, it's a thing that the exact timing I think is still up for debate. Is it a half hour? Is it an hour? Is it two hours? You know, yeah. What is the exact window? Um, I, I cannot remember her name right now. I had a guest on who actually is a primary author on one of those studies. She's an ultra runner. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was, I think she, the window they had come up with was almost an hour and a half. Okay. And um, like I said, I've seen it. I've seen it 30 minutes. I've seen it 60 yeah. minutes. I talked to, you know, so I'm not saying hers is gospel. It was, but I was, I mentioned it because I think that's the longest I had personally come in contact with at that point. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting that they had, you know, shown some kind of efficacy even at that point, but then mm-hmm. the drop off. Um, so it was just, just interesting. Side yeah. Note, I guess. Yeah. Um, you got to get a lot of people past there's, they don't feel good. I don't really want to eat or I have to get a shower in. It's yeah. like, no, this is important. You will feel better. I promise. <laughs> well, I, you know, I wonder sometimes too, is it a matter of like, why don't you feel good? Mm-hmm. You know, did you go too hard? Are you on un- like, I know personally, if I don't want to eat, it's usually because I'm dehydrated yep. and mm-hmm. I only want water. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how I get, I know that because I get, get that way pretty bad in races, um, especially like hot races. Yeah. So I can't kind of feel that otherwise, but you know, it, it seems like maybe I'm just sheltered, live in a bubble. That's possible. <laughs> but it seems like some of those things could be mitigated, like make sure you've been drinking plenty of water. So you're hydrated or if it's a long run, take water with you or do loops right. or, you know, all that kind of like just plan more right yeah i mean dehydration is definitely a big contributor to not feeling great after a run um but i also say you know it's not uncommon after a hard interval workout or long run to not have much of an appetite blood has not been flowing to your gut it's going to your muscles so your stomach's been ignored for a while um so i think a lot of times it's finding something that sits well and a lot of people (laughs) joke about the chocolate milk thing but chocolate milk is great post-workout because it's easy to drink easy to get down it's got the carbs and the protein that you need obviously you can get it from other sources but that's why they always say chocolate milk and why so many athletes can tolerate it pretty well um you know there's a number of like protein waters on the market which i've found especially after a particularly hot hard workout um they're just like a clear water um Mm -hmm. that has protein i think it's a whey-based protein in it um and it goes down really easy especially Mm -hmm. if you don't have much of an appetite so i think there's getting something in a small snack within that 30 60 minute window whatever (laughs) is doable um with women, I always encourage a little bit quicker just because they need it sooner. Um, but then getting a full meal in within two hours. So if you can have something right away, but then really trying to get in an actual meal is going to be even better. Do you break that up where, you know, so earlier you mentioned mm-hmm. kind of your general protein guidelines. So we're talking three meals and say two snacks during the day. Is that a good yeah. rough guesstimate? Are you breaking um calories up evenly throughout the day so we're you know i'll, I'll call it a third 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 obviously it's yep. not that because you, you're breaking me into those <laughs> snacks too um is it is it completely even or are you loading one way or the other 
Um, even I try to get people to go with the even approach, even if they're having a little bit more earlier in the day would be even better. Um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people have to get over that fear of eating or eating more earlier in the day that there's, they think, Oh, if I do that, then I'll overeat at dinner and I'll end up taking in too many calories. And that's not true. I think a lot of times people are surprised to find out, you know, if you have a bigger breakfast, you have a more substantial lunch, two decent snacks. By the time you hit dinner, you're not all that hungry and you don't, Mm -hmm overdo it. And, you you know, that that was something personally, I remember in college, um, I wouldn't eat much throughout the day. And then I would like go to town on a bag, like a box of cereal, just sit and eat a whole box of dry cereal being like, what's wrong with me. And now I realize like I was probably way too low in calories throughout the day, um, and too, too low in energy. And so I was making up for it once I hit the evening hours. (laughs) So a lot of, a lot of the clients who come to me with, I have a sweet tooth. I can't stop eating at night. We, that's where we realize, you know, you haven't been having enough throughout the day and let's try to change those habits. And it's not easy. I mean, if someone's used to not having breakfast, that's, that's, we got to start small, right? Like to just get a granola bar in. Right. Something at all just to, that's what I suggest in you probably, since you do run coaching as well, you probably run into this where it's like, people want this like all or nothing mentality sometimes mm-hmm. where it's like, well, if I don't have time to have a full English breakfast, then why have anything at all? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, just the same thing with running. Like if I can't get out for my hour run, why run at all? It's like, okay, well, do you have time to go out for a mile? Yeah. Like, a mile's better than nothing in part because at least for me, you're reinforcing the habit, right? Right. Right. You know, it's, it's just the act of doing it repetitively and it becomes your routine rather than if you miss it, then you're not moving yourself towards whatever goal or, you know, idealized lifestyle you wanted. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I feel like I had to jump back. I was like, I had another thought that I lost it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so do you run into, this is something that I, I have a hard time squaring because I'm one of the more, um, active people in my household and i'll say household for anywhere from when i was young till now oh yeah Uh, Mm -hmm. and so but so then like i've had family members that are overweight but then i'm trying to like fuel for performance Mm -hmm. so i don't know how common this situation is but i'll say like mixed dietary agenda households Mm -hmm. do you run into that often how do you navigate that situation um a little bit. I think most of my clients are in like two person households right now. So not as much. Their significant others are pretty supportive. Um, have had the the a few with kids and things and so they're making multiple different meals. Um, yeah. so that that definitely does come up and it's just trying to make sure that you can balance everything out with their needs and their likes as well as yours understanding why it's so important to have carbs have protein at every meal have those fruits and vegetables um i mean i personally don't have any issues usually we've been pretty um balanced in our household around um what we eat i think my husband's very (laughs) open to whatever i want to cook um so that's nice um but yeah so sometimes there is and it's like you don't want to make four different things for everyone. So trying to get everyone on board with what you're doing, um, or if you're not the person doing the cooking, just asking for 
you know, make some extra rice or whatever it is that you need for your own training and being aware of it. I, you know, I often, um, when I have clients travel or go visit family, encourage them to pick up some groceries, some things that they, um, can have on hand, um, so that they know not, not that are safe, but things that they know, um, they can have for breakfast before long runs and things. Actually, recently when we um, went to visit our in-laws, I brought all my own breakfast items just so mm-hmm. I knew I had them and I wasn't, you know, I'm making anyone feel inconvenienced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that goes back to preparation, right? Where you, yeah. You didn't just say, well, whatever they have, we'll hope it's good. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I'm going to take care of my own thing. So, yeah. so, so how do you get that into people's heads? Like, is it, is it a matter of you can prescribe it and then you just have to wait for them to do it? Or is there any like secret button you can push in like Mm -hmm. people's brains to get them, get them to start building these habits? I think, so as a combination, I always talk about how we prepare, we plan for training, right? You wouldn't follow, hopefully, you're not just following a mindless training plan. Most most of the clients I work with have a run coach or are following a specific training plan. Um, so I always in, make that kind of comparison, right? You have a plan for training. You know what you're going to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Why wouldn't you have the same thing for your nutrition, nutrition or at least a rough draft, right? And so really teaching them how to meal plan, how to at least map out what are some things you know you can make for dinners, for lunches, for breakfast. And that doesn't mean every single meal has to be planned out. Um, but in general, you know, you, you generally know what you're going to do. It saves you time during the week, um, doing a little bit of prep and planning on Saturday or Sunday or whatever day it is that you have some downtime. Saves you time, saves you money. Um, so we all we go through both uh, meal planning and prep um session and then i'll also focus on grocery shopping tips um just like what what are better for you options in the grocery store um and i think hopefully all of that gives them the tools then to go and and do you know put that into practice it's not always the case but um really trying to drive home the fact that you have a plan for your training and nutrition should be part of that right Mm -hmm. um it's it's going to support you and get you to the goals that you want and a lot of people in order to meet those goals just that's the one thing that's maybe missing and so they have to put that into practice a little bit more and i think what reiterates it and makes them actually do it is they start to see changes right they start to Mm -hmm. feel better their runs are going better their workouts are going better and so then that's more motivation to continue what they're doing it's not like that natural positive feedback we get when you know we're already doing you already get that feedback when you're you know you go out for a run you stay consistent with it you start to get faster or you start to lose weight or mm-hmm. whatever it is that you see you know you get that positive feedback it's just that same thing happening right yeah yeah, yeah. um before we run out of time <laughs> i i i wanted to ask you about uh supplements i saw you touched a little bit on it on your Twitter, but I didn't uh-huh. dive too deep into your thoughts and opinions. Um, I know it can be kind of a hot button <laughs> issue for some people. Some people are all super anti supplements. Some people, the people that sell supplements are super <laughs> pro <laughs> supplements. Uh, where do you land on the issue? 
Yeah, so I've always been of the mindset food first approach for nutrition. You can definitely get all the vitamins, minerals, nutrition that you need from the foods that you eat. That being said, as endurance athletes, when the mileage starts to creep up, sometimes it can be more difficult to get in all the nutrition um, that you need. And then there's certain subsets of the population that maybe need more of certain things. So in that in that point, I see where vitamin mineral supplements could come in handy. I mean, if you have a deficiency, you should for sure be fixing it. Um, and likely a supplement's going to help you with that. Um, so trying to identify where we have deficiencies, but I'll always say multivitamins like an insurance policy, it shouldn't be a replacement for food, but it's an insurance policy that you're getting everything that you need. And I don't see any, um, harm in taking a multi or, um, for a lot of people, vitamin D is also something we need to get from a supplement, especially in the winter months. If you live above the Mason Dixon line or in the Northern States, like I do, um, we're just not getting enough sun to create vitamin D. So that might be another one that that's worth supplementing women of um, uh, childbearing age. There's certain supplements that they may need to add to their diet. Um, so I definitely think there's a role for them, but have always been of the food first approach um, on supplements when it comes to that. And then working with, you know, if you think you're deficient in something or you have questions working with a dietitian, I think in the article one or two I've written also talk about vegan and vegetarian diets. And um, that would be another place where, you know, making sure you're getting iron, vitamin B12, um, any of the B vitamins actually. So just um, being extra conscious of it, but I think no harm in a multi. <laughs> right. Well, I, I like your, I don't know, I don't know if I've heard that the phrase before, but it makes sense that, that supplements are a insurance policy. Yeah. Right? Like you're not, you know, you have an insurance policy on your house or your uh, <laughs> apartment. You're not going to leave the door open and just hope nothing bad happens. Like you're going to take care of business. And then yeah. if something, you know, outside of that happens, then you're covered. So I think that frames the mentality pretty really yeah. well. I like that. Now, like that doesn't include some of the more performance hands enhanced. talked about a little bit on a couple blogs, but um, the main thing I think with those is making sure you're being safe. Um, so uh, things like the pre-workouts and um, other things that are out there on the market. So oftentimes if an athlete is looking to use one of those, I also want to look at where they're at in their training. If they're a college athlete, if they're a professional, we, we want to make sure that they're being safe, but also not violating any rules of training, right? right? So that it's an NSF certified for sport, um, that they're looking for that, that label on the, the packaging to make sure it's safe. Um, so that's another thing. Just It's definitely part of the whole counseling experience with me or coaching or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> we go through supplements and whatever you're taking. That So... That just makes it's a personal curiosity, and I, this isn't necessarily your field, but yeah, because um, you mentioned pre workout stuff, and I've taken pre workout stuff previously, but I didn't really feel a whole lot of effect. Um, mm -hmm. So that was a pretty short lived routine. Um, but I know a lot of people take um, caffeine to, to race, to train, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I similarly don't feel a whole lot of effect with caffeine. Mm -hmm. um, is that something you try to help advise people on? Use it, stay away from it, use it this way, that way, whatever, anything like that? Yeah, for caffeine, there's definitely a, enough research to support the performance enhancing benefit of it. Um, it can go, you can go 
farther and faster. It kind of gives you, I think a lot of the marathoners I work with, if they are open to it, maybe taking a gel with caffeine in the second half of the marathon or something like that. But like you said, you don't have much um, effect from it because you maybe have a higher tolerance for caffeine. So it really impacts people differently. So it's so important. I think one of my key takeaways with all the clients I work with is I say practice makes PRs, which basically means you're going to try these things in training. You're not going to do it for the first time on race day. And you're going to figure out what is going to sit well with you because there's some of these supplements you take them. And I mean, the GI issues that could come up, it's not worth it, you know, especially in an endurance in a long run situation. So I think it's identifying what works for you. Um, Some people caffeine will impact, some won't. It's just kind of we're all built different. I know I personally can't go on a long run without a cup of coffee, but that's not Mm -hmm. quite the same. (laughs) Right. Well, there's a little bit of mentality there, but there's the caffeine, obviously. No, we had, um, it was a suggestion by my coach because we were just trying to dial things. This was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, I had gotten caffeine pills so then we could basically chop them up to have a more accurate like dosing amount. Mm -hmm. It was 25 milligrams is what we broken it down to. Um, but I think we tried 25 and even 50 and I didn't, I didn't have a demonstrable like RPE difference or time difference. And it was like, at, at that point you're starting to get, you're starting to really creep up in the amount that you're taking. You know? yeah. So it was just interesting. And maybe, maybe it's the, like, I'll call it a reverse placebo effect with me in that I don't really want to be taking <laughs> caffeine. So it could have been that too, you know, where yeah. it's like. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna run harder because I don't really want to be doing this. Um, <laughs> but that's a whole other story. Sure. Um, so as our hours kind of winding down here, um, I mentioned earlier I'm asking everybody a question this year. You're the only person to get both questions in, this, in, in nice. one interview. Um, but I'm asking everybody this year, what do you think the purpose of sport is? Oh, I mean, what is the purpose of sport? For me, I'll think of just for running. I think for me, it's the community um, that just, that's what I miss probably the most. (laughs) Um, And we, fortunately I have a a great local coach and he coordinates some some very socially distanced small group type long runs. So we're still being able to get some of the community, but I think the community for me is what I get the most out of sport. It's just, giving me that gives me when I have the community, then I have the drive to compete, the drive Mm -hmm. to do better. So I think that's, that's probably my best answer. (laughs) Oh, it's good. Good. Um, Allison, if people want to see what you're up to, see your news, get in touch with you, where can they do that? Yeah. I'm at running RDN on Instagram, Twitter, and then it's running RDN.com is my website and you can find my blog and all that fun stuff there. If you're on YouTube, that'll be on the screen. If you're not, then just rewind and listen to Allison again. It'll be there. Thanks for hanging out with me today, Allison. Thank you. It's been fun. Take care.